Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. My joint honor to introduce someone who doesn't need an introduction, but because Dr. Yvette is mostly in the 830 service, I want to describe who she is. She's a mother in this house. Now, I'm not going to give the whole, she's got a long CV, but Dean and Yvette have been part of this church how many years now? Since the beginning. 25, 27 years. 27 years they've been part of this church. Let's welcome Yvette as she comes to bring the word of God. Thank you, Pastor Sai. Sure. Good morning. Okay. We are still in the book of Leviticus. Um, Pastor Sai thanks the leadership of the church for this opportunity to share this word with you. Um, we are in the eighth week, and um, there's two more sessions. I think Pastor Sai is finishing off next week. Um, have you enjoyed reading Leviticus? <laughs> have you? <laughs> okay, let's go. Um, I get to do the fun part. There's no blood in my message. <laughs> and the fun part is jubilee and festivals. Can we really talk jubilee if we look at our circumstances? At our failed state, our failed economy, our joblessness, our struggles, our unmet expectations. Let's see God's heart for it. So, what happened with the Levites? Leviticus is a book that's named after the Levites. That's why it's called Leviticus. And the author is actually trying to answer the question because Israel found themselves in a very, very precarious situation. They had just exited Egypt and they came to the place where Moses had gone up to make a covenant with God. But because they didn't know where Moses was, because Moses was their leader, guess what they did? They asked Aaron to create for them a construct of a God that they thought they needed at that time. And so they, Aaron had to make this God that they wanted to worship. That was the voice of fear speaking to them because they, was looking, they were looking for a God. So that sin damaged their relationship that they had with God. So how can Israel be reconciled to this God? How can Israel, God asked that question initially, how can Israel survive as a people believing in one God while living in a culture whose people honored pagan gods? How could that be brought together? And when you look at Leviticus, 
It's sandwiched between Exodus and Numbers. Exodus ends, you read the last verse, Moses couldn't enter the temple at that time because the presence of God was in there and of course he couldn't enter it. But when you go back to the end of Leviticus, the first verse in Numbers says God spoke to Moses in the temple. So ask yourself, what happened in Leviticus? What changed? What in actual fact was it all about? So, we see God graciously providing a way for his people to live in his presence. Because his holiness motivated him to deal with their rebellion, to deal with their sinfulness, to deal with their lack of trust. Because his plan has always been for them to live in peace and to come into his presence. He has always wanted to live with them in peace. But he couldn't where they were at. I want you to turn to your neighbor, one in front of you or sideways, and I want you to say, this awesome God, holy God, has always had a plan. And so you see what he does. He wants to move them from impurity to purity. And then he comes and he gives them this elaborate set of rituals and institutions. Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that, da 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 da, etc., etc. You know all about it. Because God desired, just as it says there, holy living built into every rhythm of life. And it is about purity. And in Leviticus, first, there's ritual purity and there is moral purity. The ritual purity became like cultural symbols for Israel to remind them that God's holiness affects every aspect of life. That was what the rituals was all about. It was about holy living fundamentally. Moral purity... What did God want? He wanted Israel to live differently to the Canines. A life set apart. And so that's what we want to talk about. Festivals. Okay? It's next level living. Bring this back to our life where we are now. Where you and I have a tendency to relegate God to the sacred only. Oh, God's too holy. It's just sacred. So we don't bring him readily into the secular. It's about us having God's distinctive character even in our secular living. So before, when you saw the rituals and you saw the atonement made, consider the blood of the sacrificed lamb at the time was an antidote to the deathly consequences of sin and impurity. So now let's bring that back to us. Wow, here we are. 
where we had the holy living is possible where he says that we must love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And then beyond that, the greatest and foremost commandment is that, love God. CJ spoke about it. Love God. Everything that you do is an outworking and an outflow coming from that love for God. But God wants to take us beyond just believing and being purified from our sins. He takes us beyond to next level living. And of course, Israel was also to be mindful of the poor and social justice, all those instructions they were given. Because as human beings, we create false dichotomies. We separate God from our issues. But what does Leviticus do? It brings an interconnectedness between the sacred and the secular. More so, what it does, it emphasizes God's concern for both of those issues. So what does God do? His next plan for us is that he entered human existence because you and I were not born like the Israel, born into being a Jew. No. We come from different backgrounds, everywhere, diverse. And Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection, he made it possible for us to enter the presence of God and have a relationship with him as a justified, atoned for, and redeemed people. So our God is unique. He is powerful. He is miracle worker, God of the impossible. So what does that mean? It's about believing. I want you again to look at your neighbor and say, this awesome God has always had a plan. And I want you to take that away today. Doesn't matter where you are, there is an awesome plan for your life. Roman speaks and he says, huh, amidst the jubilee, my shame has been removed, my sin has been removed, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is the gospel we're talking about. This is Jesus coming, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Okay? This is him coming. He says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Does not matter where you come from. So guess what? Believing is fundamentally important. Believing in this most high God, the creator, author of life. But more than that, he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So how do we approach festivals amidst chaos, jubilee, 
jubilee amid difficulties? By faith. Just as has been said through our worship this morning, through even ministry as such, the righteous man shall live by faith. So, what are the benefits then that Jesus brings for us? Romans 5, verse 1 to 8, 39. I'm going to read this, and then after this, I'm going to jump through a whole lot of stuff. So I want you to go back later today during the week. Just look at the benefits of your salvation, at the benefits of what Jesus has made possible for you. It is honoring Jesus in the temple. He says, therefore, since we have been made right with God, with God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege. Number three, where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us to develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope, wow, will not lead to disappointment. Any other construct will lead to disappointment. But this hope in God will not lead to disappointment. And for we know, look at this, knowing how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So from that earthly living, when Jesus had lived his life, he died and he was resurrected. He went to the Father to go be our high priest, to make intercession for us, but he didn't leave us alone. He was with us in bodily form. And then he leaves us the Holy Spirit that can now not be on the outside of us, but on the inside of us. Isn't that amazing? God in bodily form comes and lives in us by the Holy Spirit. So, what did he do? We have learned now through everything, the rituals, the priests, the blood, the sacrifice made, everything, that God wanted to take them from that sinful life to a pure life, holy living in the rhythm of every part of their lives. What happens to us? We come. We come with our issues. Difficult physical issues. Illness for a long time. Praying, waiting for answers to prayer. Mental issues. Emotional issues. Social issues. Cultural issues. Trust issues. Because it's difficult to continue trusting God when you don't see Him. Just like Israel did. They didn't see him, and so they made a construct as such. So we have our disappointments. 
We have our grieving. Grieving for having lost people, having lost stuff, having lost our jobs, given our climate. And we are left with disillusionment. We feel abandoned at best. Do you ever go through seasons like that or I'm the only one? Hello? And of course, unmet expectations. So what that does, it enslaves us with counterfeit identities. Because then we step into that place and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going through difficult things at this moment in time. But Jesus comes and he shapes our broken places into his perfect plans. And he brings us into new life. The blessing of the new life is talking about a joy of new hope. It talks about friendship with God. A friend who cares for you. He talks about experiencing life, not death. He talks about sin's power broken over your life. He talks about freedom from the law of sin, life-giving spirit, and a glorious future awaits. That is what Romans 8 speaks about, that there is a glorious future that awaits us. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. That is what Jesus did for us. Now come to the festivals. Interestingly, before, and I'm going to go through it, before God gives Moses the instructions and say, you will tell the Israelites to do this, 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 this. Here they are. Visualize Israel. This was before their wilderness wanderings. They were essentially camping out. And God, right there, downloads. And he doesn't give them a pep talk. He doesn't give them a battle strategy. They're about to enter the promised land, going en route. And they're going to face different nations. They're going to have battle. God downloads festivals. Holy days. And it says there, official days for holy assembly. If we are going to have a jubilee, Galatians 5 says, we must stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Not to be entangled again by the yoke of bondage. That means our issues. They used to tease us and say, don't say issues, say issues. Yeah. Our issues, those enslavement with counterfeit identities, even be it just for a short time. Okay? He says, be not entangled by that yoke of bondage. And he says, be not entangled in the cares and the worries and the concerns of the world. Why? Because the battle is the Lord's. Just this morning, John prayed and he said, the Lord is my strength and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid of? So we cannot have a voice of fear speaking over the truths that God's word teaches us. 
So, Leviticus 25, while Moses was on Mount Sinai, God said to him, give the following instructions. When you have entered the land, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. For six years, you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops. But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. What do we see God doing here? This awesome God that had a plan, he comes and he calls a day holy. The day, Sabbath, was called holy. It's the first thing that God called holy, apart from himself. Was that Sabbath or rest? He considered it holy. So what does Sabbath mean? Sleep for the whole day? Doing nothing? No. Sabbath, just like the lamb in the sacrifice was an antidote to their sinfulness and the deathly consequences of sin. This Sabbath, the annual feast that they have, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the First Fruits, all those festivals, why do you think they came? Okay? They came as an antidote to forgetfulness. It was about being reminded. Is that when we get to you on those festival days, where those convocations, those assemblies, when we gather to God, pray and worshiping Him, is we remember God and we honor God for what He did for us. Him sending His Son. So, you may want to ask yourself, sure, it was as though God knew that when his people get settled into their rhythm of life, they were going to forget and they were going to drift. So he speaks their language and he tells them about festivals, parties, coming together because they were feasts. They were not only convocations, but they were feasts. And then he comes and he says, when you celebrate these, he says, don't store away crops. Like he said with a manna, take for today only. Don't worry if you can't see what's gonna happen next month, next week, next year, for today only. And he says, don't store away crops. The land must have a complete rest. But you may eat whatever the land produces, and your slaves and your live crops must eat. That is the antidote to our forgetfulness. Also, this is what God does. So let's talk about the year of Jubilee briefly. Leviticus 25, 18 to 22 he says, if you want to live securely in the land, follow my decrees and obey my regulations. This morning you heard about obedience, obeying. 
Then the land will yield large crops, and you will eat your fill and live securely in it. But you may ask, just like us, I've taken a year of practice. I'm going to ask, but God, for the whole year, what do you think is going to happen to my practice? Says, but you may ask, what will we eat during the seventh year? Since we are not allowed to plant or harvest crops that year, be assured, I will send my blessing for you in the sixth year. So the land will produce a crop large enough for three years. Sure. The sixth year, God produced enough so that it could last for three more years. When it came to the seventh year, he says, when you plant your fields in the eighth year, you will still be eating from the large crop of the sixth year. He says, in fact, you will be eating from that large crop when the new crop is harvested in the ninth year. You will still continue to eat. So, what we're talking about here, we're talking about the Lord who gives increase. He is the provider. He is your sustainer. He is the covenant-keeping God. He is the promise keeper. And he is our only source to freedom from being enslaved. Our only source. So now, the year of Jubilee. What happened in the year of Jubilee? The year of Jubilee was actually... The 50th year, there had to be seven cycles of seven years. Now the 50th year, so it's 49 years, then the 50th year was the year of Jubilee. So what was he doing in the year of Jubilee? He still said to them, no reaping, no harvesting, no sowing. Why is that? Because God values rest. He knows how his people have created idols out of work. If I don't work, I don't earn. And if I don't earn, I don't have. And I cannot eat. That's the reality. And then, of course, he said during that year, wow, slaves were set free. Prisoners were freed. Debts were cancelled. Whatever they owed were written off. I'm sure silently you're asking, please, can that happen in South Africa now? <laughs> Haven't paid my rent for a number of months. Please, can it just be written off? And there was a type of resetting of creation every 50th year. Because God takes rest seriously. He doesn't want us to have other idols. He doesn't want us to have counterfeit identities. He wants to develop in us. And we all are works in progress. We all at different levels. But I believe from that place of just trusting, of saying, Lord, I know I'm saved. And I am becoming Christ-like. God is wanting to take us to next level. Next level is from Christ-likeness to heaven on earth. That is jubilee, heaven on earth. And so what does it mean, heaven on earth? It means that I don't have to worry, I don't have to sow, I cannot reap, but I'm going to eat. Remember, we spoke earlier about the undeserved privilege. Because God always had a plan. And so what is he talking about? 
God wanted to move from self-sufficiency to a posture of dependency and expectancy. So there is God. I've waited for a long time. I've waited for a partner. I've waited for a job. I've been trusting you. He says, wait for it. Even though it tarries, wait for it. He is faithful. And he's still the same God. So if there be three things that we can take from all these festivals, there are three things. That is spiritual and cultural practices, like the rituals, our relationships, because this is what God spoke about, was their relationships. How did they relate to each other? How did they relate to God and then rest? Because it was a fundamental part of it, rest. So to have a jubilee with nothing left is difficult. And you may ask yourself today, what is there in your life that may be an antidote to your forgetfulness? That you need to wrestle down to the ground that you can get to a posture of trust with dependency on God. So talk about our spiritual and cultural practices. You know, how we do church, how we do Christmas on our own. I'm not talking about church service, I'm talking about us. Talking about Easter time, what do we do? And Jesus goes right back and he starts at what matters most. He teaches about inner purity. Matthew 15, remember what happened when God, before Israel could enter into him? There was the issue of taking them from impurity to purity. This is God's heart for us. Some Pharisees and teachers and religious law now arrive from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. And Jesus brought them right back to what matters. And he says, why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? So as we do our traditions, as we go to church, as we do our weekly meetings, as we celebrate Christmas and prepare for Christmas, it's about focusing on God, for God to be made known. And he further said to them, you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You ignore God's law and you substitute your own tradition. Now we in an age of commuted churches, never before has there been so many lonely people. Because there's so many shopping malls. If you're alone, just go to the shopping mall. Our cultural practices are our hallmarks like it was for the Jewish people, for the Israel. And you know, when it is Pesach or Passover or whatever it is, they are out of bounds for you or for work because they are remembering God. And so for us is that if our culture, as we face a crisis of loneliness, our traditions and our cultural practices can practically engage others with radical hospitality. Yeah, Next level living does not matter. 
what you are going through. You can still have radical hospitality from that. So, the questions that are fundamentally important is how can we reclaim our traditions? I don't know about you, Christmas time, what's the focus of Christmas time? What's the original intent for Christmas? We celebrate the gift of Jesus. We celebrate what happened on that day. The light of the world came, okay? But, wow, so much running around. Decorations, food, celebrations. People are coming. And so at the end of the day, we are so tired and exhausted that we lose the message of the gift of Jesus. Because we drift when we're celebrating. There's time for reflection then, reflecting, celebrating the gift of Jesus. And we can ask ourselves, there's so many different people here. You have different cultural practices. You do different things, so we don't go there. But we talk about inner purity, talking about loving God. Let your hospitality, your love be an outflow of who God is in your life and what God has done. And you can then invite Invite people to your table to sit and celebrate with you. And as they celebrate with you, you have opportunity to share Jesus. You have opportunity to share the light that you have received. So now we come to our relationships. If you look at this, you have to ask yourself with relationships did they prioritize relationships and people over tasks? There were so many tasks to do, so many boxes to tick, and when you have to do that, you don't prioritize relationships because there's just a busyness that comes. They had, at every day, they had a holy gathering. They fellowshiped together. There was unity. They pray and they worship together, which is why you come here, because there's power in this house. You cannot do this by yourself. You need spiritual community. You need deep friendships. And you will agree with me today, deep friendships today comes at a premium. Agree with me? Comes at a premium. Why? Because we are busy. We always on. Pastor Sai, cell phone? Always on. Always on. Don't have time to engage. So the ancient Hebrews were not individualists. They had a certain end. Not individualists mean there's a certain vulnerability that comes. So you don't want to be vulnerable with each other. Because I can't tell CJ about my troubles. Everybody's going to know about it. But yet, if I speak about it, she's going to pray grace over my life because I'm connected and engaged. I listened to Pastor Steve Murrell on a podcast. If you want to look at it, look at YouTube. Just type his name in and it comes in. And he spoke about the blessing of God with a devotion from Psalm 67. And he highlighted four points from Psalm 67 in that the blessing of God is not about me, it is communal, it is not personal. It is something beyond ourselves. It's beyond me, it's next level living. 
the blessing of God is missional. Because Psalm 67 says, let the nations praise you. Let the people praise you. It's not just for me to praise him for his blessing. Thirdly, the blessing of God is meant to bring praise to God, glory to God, not pride. A pride of, actually, I'm all right, Jack. I'm okay. But it's about praise because it's for God to flow to us, through us, to our streets, to our nations, to our continents, and for us to see him and his way made known. That has been always been God's plan. For God to be seen as the source, his saving power flows through us. That as you have it, as it has integrated in your being, that saving grace flows from you to others. That is what it is. And it makes him know. So, also, there's an instruction in Leviticus that when you reap the harvest, don't clean up all your gleanings. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner. That's God. That's the word of the Lord. It is to leave for the poor and the foreigner because God cares for them. And what it is, we become a there you are, CJ, person versus a here am I person. Here am I. I'm available. But it's about there you are. Deep friendships that he wants. And we talk about God's heart for forgiveness and reconciliation in our relationships. As part of the revival prayer meetings, I encourage you to join them. Wow. 6 a.m. Wow. 6 o'clock in the morning. Get up at 5.30 and prepare yourself for what's coming. One of the brothers, and he's in this church, and he shared his testimony. He said he, his grandmother had passed away. And he spoke about his dad, who hasn't spoken to him in 15 years. No relationship. Never spoke to him. And it was like, oh, just leave. Speak to the hand, the ears are listening. And he says his dad called him and he said, I need to have transport to go to your granny's funeral. Can you please take me to her house? He says, and first response is almost like, Really? Never spoken to me for 15 years? And now I must take you? He says, but what prevailed was his obedience to God. And he said, God, I see that you are doing something greater here. Your love will be shown. He says, and he ran around and he went to arrange finance and he got his dad there. And he says, Lord, I trust you. My obedience will mean the salvation of my dad, of this family. There will be a spilling over of your goodness to him. So there is always in our relationships, there's purpose, there is reason, and there is intent. Always. When you engage with somebody, hear God. God, what are you saying for this person? Let it flow from me. I'm hearing. I want to know what are you saying. So coming note on rest, we're talking rest now. On the seventh day, God finished his work, so he rested from all his work. 
and he blessed the seventh day. Remember, he declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work. All his work. Ezekiel 20, 12 says, and I gave them Sabbath days of rest. Why? As a sign between them and me. It was to remind them that I am the Lord who had set them apart to be holy. He had set them apart. So Hebrews reminds you, oh, I love Hebrews. Hebrews 4, so there is a special rest waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. He says, make every effort, every effort to enter that rest. It does not matter how enslaved you are. It doesn't matter how entangled you are. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. Wherever your hope is on the ground, God wants to lift that up to a posture of trusting. Because according to Ezekiel, it was for them to know him and his sanctifying effects of relating to God. So it's not just knowing, it's next level living. Remember Christ-likeness to heaven on earth. Heaven on earth, that where you go, heaven will invade the circumstances. So, Jubilee has a meaning. Some Jewish color termed uh, it manuah. Manuah says, and it's all is well. And it speaks of tranquility, serenity, peace, and a holy repose. No strife. No fighting. No fear. No distrust. Because, you know what anxiousness does? Maybe you can identify with me. Okay? Anxiousness demands instant action. Instant. I want fast acting, quick fixes. Lord, I cannot wait on this. I cannot wait. And then on the other hand, comfort zones resist growth. You don't grow when you don't trust God to the extent that God wants you. But also pain and pressure isolates. These thrive things wants to isolate you, set you by yourself. But you know what? God's presence and his Holy Spirit differentiates dependency. He sets it aside. Holy living. You can read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in those green pastures. And he anoints my head with oil. And there's a table that I laid ahead of me. This is what he wants. Rest is relational. Okay? It talks about a non-anxious presence in anxious times. We can identify with David when he was in the wilderness. Just that same scripture. The Lord is my strength, my shield, my rock, my stronghold. That is in Psalm 18. We have been set apart with a heavenly orientation, not to fight as the world does. We don't resist and fight like the world does. 
We don't have to worry like they do. It's about where you are there. Lord, where are you in this? Show me, where are you? I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your word. And I want your Holy Spirit to take control amid the chaos. And he's called us to co-partner with him. Come with all that you are and all that you have and let him take you from a place of unrest, place of enslavement, to a place of rest. Because that is what he has for you. And if you are waiting, he's restoring your hope to continue to wait. Continue to wait and depend on him. The word says, even though it tarries, wait for it. I wonder if Garabo can come. It's not about scheduling. It's not about setting time. It's not about sleeping. It's not about resting. It's not about leaning on own understanding. Romans 8 with 8 says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. You can have jubilee because it's life in the Spirit. It's what God has done for you. It's him taking you to next level. From being saved to becoming Christ-like to having jubilee, heaven on earth. That is what he wants you to have. I want you to reflect. This is God's Holy Spirit. Take your things away with you. God has always had a plan. He's got a plan for you. His antidote to forgetfulness is there. You have life through Jesus. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. With one word, the mountains move. Father, when you breathe, the dead arise and the bones come back to life. There is power in this room. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Like a river running wild, like a never-ending fire, where the Spirit of the Lord is. Lord, it's your name that tears down walls and every enemy will fall. So what are we gonna do? We will stand and we will fight that every wrong would be made right. There is power in this room. You're moving through our cities, God. Your Spirit fills our streets. We are shouting to the nations. Your love has set us free. But we're moving. We're standing. We're moving to next level living. That is what God has for you. Next level living. Jubilee because of who God is. And Jesus' life, death and resurrection 
made that possible for you. Amen.